You're listening to Hot Topics Reframe, topics that are hot with a lot of thought with Becky Hayes and Cedric Taylor. All right. Well, welcome to Hot Topics Reframed. And I first want to note that my co-host, Cedric, is not going to be here for the next few episodes because while it's unfortunate to you all and to me because I miss him, um, he had a baby. So he is a new and proud papa. And so he will be back as soon as he can to have more and more conversations uh, regarding every single thing that we can think of. But today I wanted to uh, recognize my special guest and I will be doing that for a few times. But my first special guest, and it was the first person I thought of when I was like, hey, we're starting this podcast. I want this person to be involved in this podcast. He was the first person I talked to. And now he is the brand new Lansing City Council member for the First Ward and also the founder of Empower uh, Lansing, Jim. And this is Brian Daniels. So uh, just to start off, Brian, can you give us a little bit of background into what brought you here? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be doing this. And congratulations to your co-host. That's amazing. So my name is Brian Daniels. I am the First Ward City Council member, uh, newly appointed February 1st. And I am a Lansing native. Uh, when I'm one of six kids, as Becky and I were talking about before the podcast started, and we moved around a lot when I was younger and actually ended up homeless when I was in sixth grade. All of this matters, and we'll come back, I promise. <laughs> and we ended up living at the VFW National Home for Children, which is in Eaton Rapids. It's fully funded by veterans, and it was actually like an introduction to me to like military lifestyle and the idea and sense of duty that I have now. Um, so I... My mom and stepdad, uh, sorry, my mom met my stepdad and moved to Grand Ledge, uh, where I graduated, then joined the Army right after high school. I went to Iraq in 2005, and I was with the 101st Airborne, 1st 320th Field Artillery, and we were in Taji, Iraq, just north of Baghdad. November 15, 2005, uh, where I was the sole survivor of an IED attack, and my right foot was blown off and reattached, and I was awake for the whole thing, and... So uh, I suffered for a long time with PTSD, but also the physical rehab. Um, it took me about a year to learn to walk again and doing so fell in love with fitness. Uh, I followed a girl to New York City uh, and became a personal trainer out there. I met the owner of a boxing gym and one day someone quit the quit the gym and I stepped in and started teaching classes and I've never stopped. Uh, when my son turned two, his name is Gabriel, uh, we moved back to Michigan so that he could have the Midwestern upbringing that we had. I came back. I couldn't find a gym that really fit me. On top of that, uh, I've always been uh, fiercely independent. I, With the help of uh, my former business partner and some friends, I was able to open Empower Lansing, which is a boxing gym uh, on the east side of Lansing in the ward that I am now city council member. And <laughs> yes, and Empower is, is unlike, it's, it's actually exactly what I think America should be like, which is it's a totally accepting place where you're pushed to be the best version of yourself, but also like gently pushed and loved which I think is a hard balance. Yeah, and I can say that's how I obviously met you is because I've been in a member of Empower Gym for the last couple of years. I joined the gym right around when my mom died. 
And so a friend of mine said, hey, come here and start working out again. Because, you know, I was always a runner and I have had some injuries that have prevented me from running. And so I go to this gym and there's Brian and Leah that are both working there. And I felt right away like I was I was going to get some fitness. I wasn't going to be judged. You know, um, there was pushing without being unkind because sometimes gyms are like body shaming and making you feel like you need to do more than what your body is allowed to do. And so I was really excited that that this was here uh, on the east side of Lansing, like, you know, close to where I lived. And so I've been a member there since. And, you know, my fitness has greatly improved. <laughs> Perfect. I love to hear that. You know, uh, on the on the wall at the gym, that rule number one says no assholes. And, you know, essentially what what I'm trying to do there is teach people respectful tolerance, which I just think is something that we we lack in our current state as a nation. So, well, that's a good segue to the question. <laughs> so today, city council member, we are talking about the state of the democracy because uh, we are we're going full political this episode. I mean, all all episodes are political, to be honest. So everything yeah. is political. I know. Yeah, the personal is political. So uh, the question is, what do you think is the state of democracy in the U.S. today? Well, uh, you know, honestly, like so many people, actually just saw an. Uh, NPR poll that said 64% of Americans believe that democracy is at risk right now. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that anyone would disagree that there's at no time in, in our history been more division, especially when it comes to how the media portrays the state of our country and the, the role they play in it. So for me, you know, I can I can honestly talk about this all day. But for me, it really starts with George Washington's farewell address. And I bring this up all the time because I don't, I think it should have been something that was studied more than the declaration or constitution was taught in high school. He, he, he warned us of the political divisiveness that we're facing and said that when you start to idolize a man more than the concept of democracy and liberty, we're going to fall. He warned us of everything that we're seeing. And so now we're seeing constant gaslighting and it's just a greater division. People believe that that uh, the election is stolen more now than they did a year ago. So I think that we're definitely in trouble, but more, I think that the only way to fix it is do it exactly what we're doing right now, which is have an honest conversation about it. Because I think that the ability to communicate with people who who might think opposite of you, that's been lost that art has been lost. But it's something that because of my background and my upbringing, I've, I've become pretty good at. Um, my mother is a gigantic hippie. And so she's always been anti-establishment, don't trust the government. But at the same time, she's the child of an old school World War II Marine who was very much about, I might not believe in what you say, but I will fight like hell to make sure you never lose the ability to say it. And that's something that she has drilled into me. And it is something that I am going to push out into the world endlessly because I have the same I have the same amount of freedom to get my message out as the people who are fighting our democracy right now. And we stand to lose all of the progress we've made for women, for the LBGTQI community, for for people of color like myself. All of that is lost if democracy is lost. Yeah, so 
George Washington aside, being a colonizer. Blah, blah, blah. You, you gotta pick. <laughs> you gotta pick and choose. I'm never saying ignore. Don't ignore the awful things. I'm saying yeah. acknowledge those as well. Yeah. But the idea of what they were saying, unbelievable. Yeah, that we all that we all have and should have a vested interest and voice. Exactly. And right now and ever since the last administration, it seems like right now it's very divisive. And I have talked to a lot of history professors and people who are very interested in history. And they're like, they're, the fear is that we are losing it. And the fear is that a revolution is going to happen, that there's going to be a civil war because there's so much divisiveness regarding everything. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of apathy. So there are a lot of people yeah. who are scared but not willing to do something. You hear a lot about how, um, you know, progressive white people who aren't saying anything or moderate white America not saying anything is the biggest danger. Because no, who's who is going to defend the defenseless? It's honestly them. Well, yeah, no, and apathy uh, happens a lot more, too, when things are good because, and especially with white America, because, you know, the country is built for mm. white Americans, um, especially white men, there is more apathy there. But now, now they're the ones that are more angry, especially working class white Americans. And the reason I say working class versus like lower socioeconomic status, because that's that's not nice to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and they feel like they're losing their privilege. And isn't isn't that insane to you? Because really, when? Yeah, right. At, at what <laughs> yes. point in the history of America has it ever been hard to be you? I and, and this is not an attack on anyone. This no, is no, just no. this is a reality of the public that we live in. Right. Is you say, oh, you can't grab women at work anymore. You're Ooh. under attack. Boo-hoo. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? This is absurd. Again, you're gaslighting us. You're, you're making people afraid of progress as if it's somehow taking away, as if this is a, a limitless or a, a finite amount of freedom that we have. Yeah. Well, privilege feels like oppression when you're the privileged, right? Yeah. Like when there starts to become some equity. And class issues aside, <laughs> you know, white white men uh, specifically do still rule the country. Older white men. I mean, if you look at the state of Congress, if you you look at the state of most of our institutions, there is still not adequate representation. And I mean, you see it. You know, we're we're in Lansing, Michigan, and I don't think that there's any doubt. Uh, that the makeup of the leadership of this city has always been exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to my background very briefly, because it, it all it all intertwines for me, which I think it does with everybody. But I, I see that, you know, the fact is I'm, I'm half black, I'm half white. I have a gay brother who's married and I'm Catholic, like, and I have a purple heart. And so, one, I understand that life is complicated, but two, the people like to try to pick a box to put you in. Mm -hmm. And because I have a purple heart, traditionally, these people who wouldn't have necessarily let me sit at the table are are willing to have conversations with me. Because and you've served. Because I served. So it's it's what, you know, uh, it's your, that makes you part of the, the good old boy crew. I actually converted to Catholicism um, for two reasons. One, I love the structure of Catholicism. Regardless of the people in the church, I think that the uh you know the the disciples didn't leave jesus because of judas concept 
And so I believe in loving everyone and accepting everyone. I also happen to like the structure of your church and I would rather fight on the inside for progress and doing the right thing and then be that obnoxious voice than to to leave it. It's just, it's not who I am. I'm clearly combative. Yeah. No. So and when you're talking to, when you said Judas, I just had the like Lady Gaga song, Judah. So good. She's unbelievable. How do you feel about Christianity generally? Because, I mean, even a lot of people who are Christian don't think Catholics are Christian, but yeah. they are, and how that's impacting our democracy. Well, the 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 reality is is that churches, and I'm not going to even say the church, churches in general seem to pick and choose what parts of history they want to acknowledge. The reality of of the Christian church and Christianity is that the Catholic church is the beginning of it, and there have been the schisms which have created more and more churches. Right, and I think right. that the Catholic Church is actually facing a schism right now because there are a lot of progressive Catholics who are like, no, this is ridiculous, including the Pope, who is now being, his voice is being ignored by American bishops. It's, it's actually quite interesting to watch. But I think that, you know, we can't even acknowledge the fact that Jesus was probably brown. Mm-hmm. And, and so some, from the very beginning, we've been facing this this lie in the battle for truth, which is exactly what we're facing today in America, which is just a battle for what is actually happening, not what you need to perceive so that you maintain your quote unquote power. Yeah. I would much rather be on our end. I think that we live much freer lives than people who continue to lie to themselves. So, yeah. And the, and the divisiveness is usually on the one side, hid behind Christianity, saying that this is what is right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of white supremacist mm-hmm. ideology is hidden behind Christianness. And mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. um, Jesus, <laughs> if he's brown, and he was definitely probably yes. brown, yep. um, he's not going to be a white supremacist. <laughs> no, not only that, he's going to be out on the streets marching. In fact, he's going to come into your church and flip your tables because that's what he did. Yeah, he was an activist. Period. He was a revolutionary. He was gangster. He didn't care. He said, kill me. Go for it. He was fearless in that respect. And so for me, you know, I think people battle with, oh, you know, can I believe this and accept these people? Because there's this myth created that somehow Jesus would not have accepted people. And that is absurd. It's wrong. It's a lie. I think that that so much hatred and and awful and murder and death has been done in the name of Christianity that you have to you have to decide like a, it has to be a personal relationship more than the church that you are a part of I suppose if you truly want to believe being on the uh, on the ground in Iraq um, mm-hmm. I was dying I know I was dying I remember uh, you know I told the guy who was holding my hand to tell my mom I'm sorry. And that, you know, that my my high school sweetheart at the time, you know, tell her that I love her and all of the stuff you see in a movie, because you know what, when you're laying there, you're like, what do I do right now? That's what you do, what you've seen in a movie. And I could feel myself getting weaker and weaker, but I also very much felt someone right here. I didn't feel alone. And you hear people say that all the time in near-death experiences, that they didn't feel alone in those moments. And so I knew there was something, but it took a long time for me to um, stop being so egotistical and say, oh, God, but why did you? Why would you let this happen to them, uh, the, uh, the other four guys who died that night? Why would you do that as if it's about us at all? And maybe there's a bigger picture, and that's none of my business. 
And being able to find that peace has been huge for me. But I know that there, you know, for me, I know that there's something. And I also know that uh, Christianity has been perverted, uh, twisted to fit a narrative and to help maintain power structures since its inception. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest problems that we're like kind of up against regarding like maintaining our democracy. I mean, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Is that, you know, religion... We are allowed to have our own feelings, beliefs, um, and of course that stuff is going to like boil over and to the way that we see laws and regulations, but America was not founded. Uh, it was supposed to be separation of church and state, and at, we haven't, we, we don't do that. <laughs> I literally lean over and start talking about this for no reason at home. So, <laughs> so... Um, I, I cannot express enough how, how honored I am to have been appointed to the Lansing City Council. Yeah. The opportunity to serve my community and continuing to serve my country matters to me. Mm -hmm. I don't, independent of someone's belief, their voice matters. Why? Because the separation of church and state matters to me. The words that were in the Constitution actually matter. If you... People who call themselves patriots but aren't committed to actually ensuring freedom and the freedom of religion aren't actually patriots. You're not being patriotic. Uh, freedom of religion isn't to say that, you know, cr me as a Christian, I shouldn't, uh, I, I should ignore or reject anybody who disagrees with me. I don't care if you're a Satanist, if you are a human being. That cares about other people. In America, especially, <laughs> you need, I, I just implore you to know that your voice matters. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you're using the word patriot, and all, a lot of times I think about the difference between, you know, that term and what's the other term? Nationalist. I'm, oh, 100%. And I think that those terms are used interchangeably. Like, you can love the country that you were born in and come from and recognize that you're just one of a million countries and, like, it's okay that other people matter as well. And I feel like sometimes people who are talking about patriotism are actually talking about nationalism, that my country is the only one that matters and I'm the best and we're the best and we can't criticize this country and we can criticize other countries, but not ours. And that's and this is that's it, not the best. This is exactly <laughs> why I use the term so often, because I refuse to let people like that own it. Yeah, that's it's not yours. You don't, you're not being patriotic. You're not protecting what our freedoms, you're not protecting what you say you care about. So it's not your word. Yeah, no, and I, and I like that you do that too, because I feel like, you know, me saying it, I didn't fight for our, our country in a war. My, my brother has multiple mm -hmm. times, but you, with you start to say, hey, no, this is what it means. People shut up because they're like, we better not. But but the the reality <laughs> Pur purple is purple hearts right here. <laughs> you don't have to have served to be a patriot, but I I do understand that it gives me the having a purple heart especially uh, gives me a pedestal to stand on when it talks about what it means to serve. You're using your voice is all. Yes, I mean, exactly. You're, you're using what you've done and you're using your voice. And exactly. Yeah, and that and that can be difficult because, um, and in, and for me, obviously, like I teach classes about stuff, and honestly, as a professor, we're not supposed, to, which is weird, we're not supposed to talk about politics too much, right? But I 
obviously can't not. Yeah. Uh, given that I teach criminal justice classes and victimology and all that, rape culture. But uh, if a student asks me what they think the definition is of, of something like that, you know, I provide the definition. Yes. And this yes. is what this is and this is what this is. And it doesn't mean what you think it means. Can we segue very briefly? Because I've wanted to actually pick your brain about something. The, <laughs> the don't say gay bill in Florida that they're talking about passing where it'll be illegal for a teacher to talk about someone's sexual identity. Um, there's, it's also going on in Indiana as well, uh, where teachers, there's a bill that you're not going to be able to teach anything about sexuality and sexual identity in classes. So it's, it's happening in Indiana as well. It's actually, it's, it's kind of blowing up. There's lots of those bills. Um, but these are literally, these are people. You're, you are telling me that you can't teach a student, a child, how to be human. Like, yeah. that's insane. You can't have that conversation. Yeah. And, and to be blunt. <laughs> Please and, be. In a very, very, uh, it's going to cause more suicide. Exactly. You're, you are handing a child a razor blade. You are not helping people be themselves. No. You're not going to prevent gayness. We've learned that through decades. And I, I myself am a queer person and I grew up Catholic and I was not taught that that was an acceptable thing in my particular church. I wish that we could acknowledge the fact that probably... The oppression and sexual repression within the church is what's caused the abuse that we see. And instead, and rather than than helping people find, uh, uh, I guess, feel safe enough to be themselves, they they create these lies. They live these lies, and then they end up in a cycle of abuse and violence that just continued through for years with the church. And I, and I think that these bills are clearly inspired by people who went to these churches. And that's a problem for me, personally. You think that it, because they went, yeah. The, yeah, the, they, it's exactly. like It's a Christianity attack. Yeah, yeah. You're, these are the same people who, who just cannot imagine that you would, uh, you would create common sense gun laws because you're somehow infringing on their rights and their beliefs. And, and you're, you know, you, couldn't, you can't talk to a kid about whether or not their orientation is right or that they are who they are because they were told when they were children that they're not allowed to think that way. Where is the evolution? People think that somehow progress and evolution is a loss of, of morality and it's not. It's not. If we were to, to allow people to freely be themselves, then you would, you would have obviously less suicide, but more, we would have so much more empathy for one another. But instead, it's like trying to fit into these boxes. Well, and you said the word morality. And somebody who has definitely read a bunch of books about morality, that can be defined differently. And so whose morality over another person's? Yeah, I, I so you know, morality is definitely subjective. Yeah, and that but the thing is is that some people are defining morality for other people. Which and isn't that similar to defining what their religion should be? Exactly. Exactly. It is It is not similar to it is the same thing. You don't have to do the things that other people are doing. And that's where we circle back to respectful tolerance. You don't have to agree with someone to believe that what they believe 
is fine for them. That's not your business. Why do you care? Oh, that's my favorite phrase is, is uh, mind your business. It, yeah. <laughs> I've been saying like where I grew up that the common phrase is mind your business. Exactly. No, step in somebody's business if somebody's being harmed. Mm -hmm. But if it's just something that you don't like, mind your business. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, I always push back at people because, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with um, a couple of former friends of mine who are incredibly Catholic. And um, they were like, you're like, you know, I, I love I have, I have plenty of gay friends. I love them friends, but, you know, they're going to go to hell. And it it's I'm sorry if we've segued, but this is a reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we will circle back because it because it all matters to the, uh, where we are as a democracy. But and you are in Ward one. So, yeah, we are queer as hell over here. Hey, you know what? I love it. I love it. <laughs> the the best parties. Um, so my, uh, you know, so what I, what I, the question is, is why do you care what another man does with his penis? Why do you think about that all the time? Why does that bother to you? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That's none of your business. And for me, it's just why you're, you're infringing on someone's freedom because you don't understand it or you refuse to. And, and that's what we're seeing now is as we push for equality in 2020, they push right back with, oh, you're trying to destroy our nation. And I know that I segued again, but this is all intertwined. Mm -hmm. It's every time that we ha take two steps forward, they take one step back. But what happened in 2020 with George Floyd was momentum really built, built off of a Me Too movement where women were more comfortable finding their voice and speaking up. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, we're going to be better to one another from now on. This needs to be a social contract. And there's a pushback on that, which is... We call it backlash, everybody. Yeah, in sociology, we call it backlash. But yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, so you see this backlash yep. um, where they're, they're pushing so hard to, to, to take what they can away now, they're which mad. is our vote. Mm -hmm. our ability to to have a say if they take that away like i said we lose everything else yeah the the me too movement obviously because i study rape culture it just feels sometimes to me like who let the women folk talk about how we told them that we wanted to like touch their boobies and vaginas but in, a... inappropriately and now I just can't talk to women anymore without having to worry about it. I'm like, well, if you can't talk to them like a human being, then that's the problem. And that's literally the conversation that I've had with with men. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a to listen. Toxic masculinity is the realest thing, and I try to point it out to all of my male friends when they they give me pushback on something. I'm like, bro, I just want you to realize that that's a really a toxic masculinity issue. Yeah. And I and I know this because I have had all of them. And have had to eat my shit sandwiches because of them, <laughs> you know. I, to, it, it, I just, I just think that unless we find a way to create a space where, where people who are afraid that they're being infringed upon, right? These, these people who are who buy into the big lie, unless we give a space for them to be able to at least have a conversation with us, attacking, 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 we're never going to survive this i really don't think our democracy as it is survives this so yeah it's a lot it's a lot of attack towards because toxic masculinity is not allowed anymore white supremacy white supremacy is being called to question as well and 
even class issues. But I, I think our next step, you know, and LGBTQ as well, our next step is ableism. I think that moving forward, progressiveness, I think we're going to attack uh, ableism. But you're saying the backlash is against, at this point, toxic masculinity, white supremacy, and LGBTQ. Yes. And it just I, comes. Because, like, if you're gay, if you're transgender, you know, we're mad at you. If you're a uh, BIPOC, by black indigenous person of color in America, we're mad at you for daring to ask for your equity that you should have been provided the entire time, even though indigenous people we stole your land. And, <laughs> you know, it's 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 all, it's, and then masculinity, okay, you, you can be a man in America and still be masculine without harming other people. I think that that's something that I, I think I do that pretty well. I, I, you know, Empower is 90% women. It definitely and, is. I know that for a fact. <laughs> and unbelievably badass strong women. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly surrounded by proof that, talk, that, that like masculinity is really kind of bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's you're just human. And then where you are on that spectrum, as with every other spectrum, is really just your business. And I, I think that we, you know, I, I don't have answers for exactly how, but I think that, you know, in, until people with opposing views are able to have conversations like we're having right now, I don't know how we get past this. I think that the younger generation, right, our, our parents and our grandparents who we have left, they, they always say things like we're setting, you know, this is, they're just setting their ways. That, that's how they grew up. Yeah, it's dismissive, honestly. Evolve, bro. If but they're still in. They're still in charge. Yeah, a hundred percent. Joe <laughs> Biden is is easily one of those grandpas that would hate if I came home with his daughter. Like, not that Joe Biden is racist. I'm saying. Yeah, like, I know what you meant. I know yes, what you meant. It you meant. is yeah. that I have come. I have been warned several times when dating women because um, I've grown up in mostly white communities, and and the girlfriends have always been like, "Listen, my grandparents. You know, they're just they're old." And like, but no, evolve. Because you've obviously seen all of the strife and the struggle to get to this point and you didn't change. That's a choice. It is simply a choice. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it's easy to let bias go, but it is a choice to hold on to it. Because we live in like little siloed areas, we, um, we create little pockets of the same exact people. And so everybody is the same in yes. the communities. With, I mean, I, mean, I grew up in rural area, but then I also grew up in more um, different areas as well. Like I've, I've moved around a little bit. And so my, I didn't necessarily 100% grow up in white communities. But like people make a choice not to see difference. And, um, you know, I, we talk a lot about colorblindness in, in my classes too. And white people, white, white people do a lot of that. And especially regarding our you know, our democracy, it's like, well, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I just don't see color. And I'm like, well, then you're not recognizing that people of color are treated differently in the United States. And you're not recognizing that you might be perpetuating that. And you're not recognizing how you're privileged. And it is a choice to put the blinders on every yes. day. Once you have the glasses on, you, you can't take them off. You yeah. got the gender glasses on. You're like, oh, shit, women do get sexually harassed every mm -hmm. day. They can't even walk down it the is, street. It has got to be exhausting to be a woman. I cannot imagine. I think of all the things that I do by myself comfortably. I never, I don't have to worry about these things. That's absurd. I once had a person who I know they were well-intentioned. It was, it was a colleague of mine, but, and I've had this multiple times, but I get street harassed a lot. I have so many stories. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you do a lot of walking, yeah. I yeah. do. Yes, you do. I do. And the reason why is because I take up space. Yep. And when they when they got it, I was like, this feels very victim blaming. I know that they didn't mean it in that way, but I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what it is? It's because I take up space. It's because I refuse to get in my car and drive to the coffee shop just because somebody's going to yell something at me. Yes. I'm, I'm going to go and walk there because I don't want to drive. Yeah. You know, I'm going to stay on my social media account and I'm going to end up with a rape threat or something, which I have had plenty of. That when seems... I say something that is, you know, supportive of women's rights, you know, I I get I get backlash all the time for that stuff. But that that's why. Yeah. You when you take up space, when it's not the space that's considered allowed for you. Yes. You're, you're going then outside the lines. There's, there's violence back at you. That is insane. But you do it anyway. Amen. <laughs> we, so my great-great-grandfather was a slave in North Carolina named Alexander Pearson. Hmm. He escaped Burke County, North Carolina, and uh, became one of the f- uh, first black landowners in the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And his daughter... Uh, opened a colored school outside of Johnson City in 1939. Uh, Alexander Pearson was also one of the only black voters in uh, Johnson City the first year that black men could vote. And to be able to get on the voter roll and in in the South, in the Jim Crow South, uh, showed you that I just come from not backing down, not not being quiet, not stopping. I don't accept that. It's not who I am. And in 2020, when you're talking about colorblindness, so many of my friends or former friends now, when George Floyd died and I protested, they were I like, Brian, what, what are you doing? I didn't, you're, you're so angry now. I didn't even, I don't even think of you like that. Like what? What do you don't think of me like as a black, black person? Man? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that when we were like in middle school and high school, we would call me Nabisco and things and I would laugh along with you because I was also conditioned in the very same system you were. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fine to say these things. And now that I'm telling you that it's not, I'm angry. Well, yes, I suppose you're right. I am angry. But like, why aren't you? Because you're not noticing. Yeah. That. Well, and then. Um, that just sounds like to me they're doing that crap that you're just the, you're, you're not like other black people. Exactly. Oh, always, always. It's, you're not like one of them. That's something that I, again, I grew so accustomed to that I didn't even realize was happening. Yeah. But even up into my thirties, people would be like, yeah, but Brian's not like, not like them. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're being overtly racist, but then you're the exception to mm-hmm. the rule. So, yeah, so you're still, y'all are still racist. <laughs> yeah, y'all still racist, though, guys. <laughs> this is not so... cool. I have a friend who's Chaldean, and he, he finally, like, was like, oh, man, I, I recognize it. That's terrible now, too. And because, you know, he had, like, you're just the, you're just the good Chaldean. Oh, yeah. Yep. And no. Nope. No, bro. So what am I, if I have, if I have a bunch of guy friends, I'm just the, I'm, well, you're, we hate all women, but you know, not you. You're you're one of yeah. the good. I mean, any enter in any oppressed you're not a woman group like that. You're not. Yeah, 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 yep. Any enter in any oppressed group, and then you can be the exception. Oh, and it makes you like what I guess feel special or something. But it's not, it's actually it's like, just like no, you're denigrating an or, entire population you know, of people. It's okay to be gay, but like don't be too gay. Don't be flamboyant about it. Don't don't be. You're outward. a good gay. Exactly. This is insane. What are you talking about, guys? Like, it just makes no sense. To me personally, it makes no sense. No, 
Nope, but we are almost oh out of time. Oh my god, are we really? I'm so yeah. sorry to hear that. No, <laughs> it's a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the state of our democracy is hinging on the fact that people are going to have to absolutely recognize that uh, progress is coming. Yeah, please let me say this out loud. Yes. Uh, it is so important to everybody that we figure out a way to vote. They're going to make it as hard as possible, so you work that much harder to yeah. make sure it still happens. And we organize, and they're still going to lose. As long as we show up, they're going to lose. Yep. And so just keep fighting. All the groups that we're talking about, if we all band together, everybody Period. who's exactly, marginalized, guys. anybody who's trying to harm is, is, is going to be outvoted. Exactly. Period. And they know that. So let's just figure out a way to vote. That's right. Jump through all their hoops. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for having me. This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you. That was a great conversation. You've been listening to Hot Topics Refrain, topics that are hot with a lot of thought, with Rebecca Hayes and Cedric Taylor, and our awesome, amazing producer, Nate Hatton.